And now the beginning of my chat with Drs. Vasurka and Kim. And in a way, we start out where we left with Drs. Miller and Mudad, confronting the issue of establishing an accurate histologic diagnosis. The 66-year-old female I first saw about a year and two months ago. She had a 30-pack year history of smoking as well as high blood pressure and had had a routine chest x-ray done by her primary care physician. The x-ray demonstrated a 1.6 by 1.2 by 1.3 centimeter lesion. I was asked to evaluate her concerning this. I sent her for follow-up CAT scan as well as a PET scan to further delineate the extent of her disease and to see if this represented either a primary or a metastatic lesion. Her initial imaging studies, which were performed in January of 2008, showed a left perihilar subcrinal, left lower lobe lesion, peribronchial lymph nodes, as well as a left upper lobe lesion and satellite lesions. I sent her for further evaluation, including a bronchoscopy, and her bronchoscopy was done, which she tolerated very well. The bronchoscopy was consistent with non-small cell lung cancer. Her overall initial stage was thought to be T4N2. I had a long discussion with her concerning chemotherapy, chemotherapy radiation, etc. Given the morphology, I actually went and looked at this with the pathologist there. It did appear to resemble an adenocarcinoma more than a squamous cancer. We had a long discussion about chemotherapy, chemotherapy, radiation, etc., and we started her on chemotherapy with Taxotere, Carboplatin, and Avastin. She received six cycles, completing treatment in April of 2008. She actually did great with therapy. She had no issues whatsoever with tolerance. She had no issues with neutropenia, hospitalizations, no problem whatsoever. Following this we had, again, another long discussion, and this was about the time that the Olympta data was coming out in terms of maintenance therapy for patients completing their initial first-line chemotherapy. What we discussed and what we finally decided on doing was continuing her on the Avastin and just adding Olympta. Before you go on, Ed, can you talk a little bit about the maintenance data? Because I don't think bevacizumab was part of that. No, you're correct, Neil. The maintenance data first started with a presentation, a late-breaking abstract in 2007, where Panosphidias's data with docetaxel was presented. This was a Lilly-sponsored study in which patients received four cycles of gemcitabine and carboplatin. This study has now recently been published in the JCO. Patients, if they had disease control after four cycles or response, were then randomized to immediate docetaxel or docetaxel upon progression. And we call this maintenance, but I think this has been debated in many circles. It's just a name, but I don't think maintenance is the correct term for this type of strategy because you are changing the drug and using something non-cross-resistant. You've heard terms such as early second line. I tend to use consolidation first line. You start with an induction and then you consolidate with something else, kind of that one-two punch. So that was the first data. The primary endpoint of the study was overall survival, and it was just short. The p-value was 0.07, but there was an increase in survival relative to the delayed docetaxel, as well as an increase in progression-free survival. The following year, Dr. Chianlu and Chandra Balani presented an update on this in the fall at the lung cancer meeting in Chicago, was using any four cycles of any 
platinum-based doublet. So either Cis, Carbo, Taxol, Taxotere, Gemcitabine. And after four cycles, you were randomized to either Pemetrexid or placebo. And the progression-free survival was the endpoint. It did show a significant advantage in progression-free survival and a trend in overall survival as well. That data were still not mature at that point. And so this is serving as the basis for, right now, the consideration for making this standard. Four cycles of cytotoxic doublet followed by Olympta as a consolidation first-line or early second-line treatment. The third piece of data, we have not seen this data yet, but we will see it at ASCO, is the Saturn study, which again uses four cycles of chemotherapy up front, chemotherapy doublet. If you have stable disease or have a response, you then are randomized to either immediate Tarceva or Tarceva upon progression. And reportedly, that is a positive study as well for progression-free survival. There's one piece of data out there, again, we have not seen this study, called the ATLAS study. The ATLAS study was using, again, platinum-based therapy with Avastin, and then after four cycles of therapy, randomizing patients to Avastin placebo or Avastin with added Tarceva. And that did show, again, an improvement in progression-free survival. In fact, rumor is that trial was stopped early because of the benefit. So there is emerging data that Early treatment second line or consolidation first line, and even in combination with Avastin, makes sense and adds benefit. Now, is this part of standard of care right now? No, I would say not. I did it on my first patient recently, so I don't see the uptake. And a lot of the debate centers around, can you get away with this after six cycles of therapy? What do you do with the Avastin? And so there are some discussion points among there. I think if someone wants to do it, it's reasonable, and there are now strong phase three data that exist out there. But you know, which drug? I think we have choices. I think the principle of it, though, is something that is going to stay. So can you bring us up to date? So she actually did wonderful until December. Unfortunately, then she had acute mental status changes, was admitted to the local hospital, and I went to see her. We did a stat MRI, which delineated a solitary brain metastases. Given that the rest of her disease was obviously very well controlled, I had a neurosurgeon come and evaluate her, and she subsequently underwent a craniotomy. The resection was consistent with her primary lung cancer, metastatic adenocarcinoma, and following her resection, she completed a course of external beam radiation. Incidentally, how long was it between the BEV and her surgery? Maybe about two, three weeks at most. Ed, how would you approach that issue of timing of surgery? You have somebody there with a big brain mat you want to get out, but yet you've got the BEV on board. We're going through these issues right now, Neil. Whether you're taking out a metastatic lesion or doing a core biopsy in someone, the risks are still very similar. There is no solid data out there that says how long you should wait to do a procedure like this. Generally, we like to wait anywhere between three and six weeks to do something, but you know, when you're talking about someone who's got a big lesion, this is mass, this is not edema effect, and she's symptomatic, 
You got to do what you got to do. And the risk benefit to her was to get this lesion out. We know bevacizumab can have a half-life of 50 days plus, And so you just have to take that risk. And I think three to four weeks probably would have been a little bit more optimal. Five to six weeks would have been great. But when you're facing this type of situation, I think you have to make tough choices and do it. So what was her status today? Well, you know, following the craniotomy and the radiation, she made the best therapeutic decision so far, and she went to Florida for three months and played golf. There you so, go. <laughs> she actually came back today following a recent PET CT scan, which I reviewed with her, which actually looks about the same as her previous ones. There are some areas of consolidation, some low-level pneumonitis, but no obvious recurrence of her tumor. She feels fantastic. The discussion today centered on, really, what do we do now? She has a very active lifestyle. She plays golf as often as possible. She travels a lot. She is really back to her normal lifestyle. She's currently a widow, but she has a lot of friends who live both here and in Florida where she spends the winter. I spoke to her about what options are available. We talked about Olympta, resuming that. We talked about Avastin. We talked a bit about Tarsiva. What I decided on for her today is that I would put her back on Avastin maintenance and complete her year of therapy and just continue to monitor her. I sent her for a repeat MRI of her brain. She hasn't had one in a couple months now. And all of this seemed to her very reasonable. I don't think that at this moment she would want to go back on cytotoxic chemotherapy. And I, quite frankly, didn't see a reason, a strong one, to put her on anything without any real tumor to follow. What was your impression of her today, Ed? Well, she looked great. I think that's what a three-month vacation in Florida can do for you. So, Neil, I'll be coming down for my internship <laughs> sometime. Um, but, yeah, she played 18 holes of golf. Her friend was there. They remarked at how she was feeling. She's getting stronger each day. You know, this is a woman who's had a craniotomy done with whole brain radiation. So looked really well. And there are so many arguments now pros and cons as far as what you do with this. There'll be some doctors that say to Jeff, why would you continue maintenance of Aston? You know, there'll be some that say you got to give this woman chemotherapy. And there's others that say you need to do something in between. And I don't know if we know the right answer. What do you think most likely you would do, Jeff? I think that the maintenance of Aston would be the most reasonable thing at this point. She didn't relapse locally and she didn't relapse. Obviously, systemically, it was a brain relapse. And I don't know of any wonderful data that Avastin has really any role in preventing brain metastases. So I think it's a good bargain for her and I that at least she continues on some therapy and something that at least does not have all that significant side effects.